Welcome to episode 40 of The False Neutral. I'm Peter Tonchinomi. With me, as always, my co-hosts, Eric and Garrett. Good evening, gentlemen. How's it going? Good evening. Anything personally going on with your bikes or uh, any rides you've taken? I haven't even looked at my motorcycles. Uh, A, it's just pouring rain here and it's cold. And I am just so busy with schoolwork right now that that's all I've been focusing on, but... Uh, I've been looking at getting a one-piece riding suit for the winter. Um, I just don't know. There's so many so many decisions, I feel like, that need to be made when you're trying to pick out a one-piece riding suit. Like, how much insulation does it have? How much money do you want to spend? Do you go high-vis or, or not? And so I've just started looking at them. I do want to get something because I want to ride through the winter, which I haven't previously done. Um, but I do want to get a one-piece suit so I can stay warm. I... I, the only thing that I have for a riding jacket is like a summer slash spring riding jacket. That's one of those really vented ones that does have a wind liner in it. That so could get a little rough. Something else. Yeah. Do you have a one piece suit or any kind of winter riding gear, Pete? No, I don't. I simply have a set of snowmobile bibs that I put on and put my jacket over it and then a rain suit over that. And that's. That will take you all the way down to freezing temperatures. Yeah, that's my only bit of old business. I know that uh, Rusty has a what a road crafter. Uh, what am I thinking of? Up in Minnesota, Andy Goldfine's company. Arrow Stitch. Arrow Stitch. Thank you. He's got. An- and the reason I know that is I was briefly on a uh, Arrow Stitch sponsored podcast before got killed after six episodes by Arrow Stitch. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways, he's got a. One piece road crafter with the zip that goes all the way from the neck down one leg so you can just step in and yeah. pull it on. And, yeah. uh, uh, boy, he's had that thing forever and they that, wear like iron. Yeah. That is the one yeah. thing about Aero Stitch. You pay a premium for it up front, but it'll last you 15 or 20 years. So and, yeah. his one comment was it is rain resistant. It is not rain proof. I believe well, the new ones they are marketing as rain proof. His is not. It that, that it's such a difficult balance to have that still breathes enough where you're not just covered in sweat on the inside, and so it's really difficult to make something that actually keeps you dry that breathes. And I feel like you really are going to spend a lot of money to get it. From all the reviews that I've been reading on uh, Seuss's, boy, it is really difficult to find something that's truly waterproof that's also comfortable to wear. So that's kind of the struggle I'm finding with a price point slash finding something that's going to keep me dry and all of the above. I was listening to, I think it was the cafe racer podcast. They were saying, Oh, you got to have something that's waterproof because it's just such a hassle to have to pull over and pull a rain suit on when you think it might rain, when you're not sure if it's going to rain in five minutes or an hour, you never know when it's time to put the rain suit on. And it's such a hassle to find a safe place to pull off and do it. And they were saying, yeah, you just need something that's got that liner, but not liner, but a Gore-Tex membrane that keeps everything dry inside and you don't have to put in a liner or pull something over it. I would have to disagree. I think 
the worst thing in the world is to have a heavy jacket, even if it's just the outside of it that gets wet. When it's wet, it's heavier, it's sloppy when you want to go into a restaurant or something. The ability to pull off a plastic rain suit and have a dry jacket and dry pants on underneath it is, to me, worth the hassle. And I'm now on my second fly rain suit that have kept me bone dry in some Midwestern thunderstorms that were like sitting in a washing machine and just kept me absolutely dry. I destroyed my first uh, fly rain suit by melting the leg on the exhaust of my old Suzuki. I did go out and I bought an Arthur Fulmer. And the first time I was out in the rain, you kind of get a little fold at your crotch and you might get some water sitting in there immediately like when five minutes just started soaking through the seam and it was like oh okay so i went out bought the same model fly that i've had for a couple years now and still love it so a good rain suit is the way to go i will disagree with those guys and and do you buy a uh another one just to keep as a spare just in case or is that something that's going to be produced for a while you don't have to worry about um They've been making it for at least six or seven years, so I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to find them. They're, they're still available now. If I ever see them going on closeout somewhere, I'm going to have to pick up a couple. <laughs> Although it's kind of like I was really disappointed when they discontinued my uh, Bushwhacker jacket, Olympia. But now I've looked at the new ones they've come out with, and they're probably nicer models than the one they discontinued. So when the time comes, you you buy whatever's. If for for me, I just need to um, I just need to drain the gas out of the tank. Um, I need to put it in a jug and then use that jug for mixing with two-stroke oil for the for the snowblower because it's uh, you know first of December <laughs> almost as we record this and it's even odds whether it's going to snow you know start snowing immediately or like this past winter I didn't use my snowblower for the first time until March first so. You never know, but I got you. Got to be ready because you get we could get half an inch all year, or like the past few years before that, we could get you know fifty and sixty inches. So got to be ready. Yeah. Well, I I have been working on my one twenty five. I got an external throttle for it to replace the funky little internal helical throttle that it came with, and uh, uh, new kill switch and new front brake lever and perch and i still haven't uh, finalized exactly how i'm going to put the rc battery in to run the turn signals but i did realize after looking at the turn signals that there is no chassis ground in that circuit at all so it'll be very easy for me to run that as a separate circuit so I just need to get motivated to get up in the morning. I go to bed later and later, and my workshop time is before work, and I end up just sleeping in until it's time to get up, get in the shower, and get to work. And <laughs> so I'm being lazy. Yeah. Uh, also, old business. We missed a couple bikes when we were talking about new bikes last episode. Uh, a couple of 2017s have been announced since then. Uh, probably the most practically significant to any of our regular listeners would be the new honda rebel 300 and 500 right i'm excited about these actually it's been such a long time since they've updated oh, the rebel yeah. and so but and, and the thing is about the rebels um people really love them like even as unchanged as they've always been they're i think a really great practical inexpensive 
way to see if motorcycling is something that you're interested in. Um, not to say that they're like the best first bike if you're if you know you're going to be riding, but if you just are unsure, they've always been kind of of a staple for to kind of figure it out because you can buy them so cheap and there's so many of them. Yeah, but these are totally different bikes, except in True. name, because the old Rebel has just an archaic motor. It doesn't even have a real paper oil filter element in it. It's right. so old. Single carb that's like, you know, a toothpick size slide in it. But I always thought it was a really attractive, uh, very Harley derivative, but with, you know, a parallel twin and the scale of it, it, it looked different enough. I thought it was really neat, but they're just such insipid little bikes to ride. These look much more kind of the what is the word? Urban sports, maybe? Um, <laughs> but functionally, the Rebel 300 is not that dissimilar from an old Rebel 250. It, the Rebel 300, I feel like, is as far as dimensions and capabilities and even a uh, price point, I feel like the Rebel 300 is not too dissimilar from what the Rebel 250 was, it, just with a modern touch. I mean, the Rebel 250, I think, first came out in like 1987 or something like that. And it was relatively unchanged uh, up until pretty recently, right? So the Rebel 300 is just kind of a modernized version, but still does all the same things that the 250 was designed to do. Yes, but instead of imitating a long and low Harley super glide look, this is very much a more bobberish hipster looking uh radically sloped tank to it with uh, kind of a high steering head on it 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 looks a whole lot different than what was a cool chromed out style in 1980 whatever yeah i mean that's true it does look a fair amount different um the bobber style is just more popular now than the full cruiser style and i think that honda just recognized that and then altered it accordingly but it still has a really low seat height and more or less kind of the same dimensions but true a much more slope tank and a little bit uh better handlebar positioning and things of that nature and the, um and the 16 i mean I'm, inch front wheel also i think is yeah. is makes it look a lot different it yeah. it reminds me of a um of a love child between a bobber and a trials bike you know, the first thing I thought of with the sloping frame tubes coming down from the head, the Trickster, the Yamaha made, uh, dirt styled with a high pipe on it, but that sloping tank looks very similar to the Trickster. That bike I do not know. Uh, they don't sell it in the United States, but they licensed it to somebody else. Somebody selling a Chinese knockoff called the Magician in the United States now. They showed, when they showed it off at the Long Beach motorcycle show a couple weeks ago, as you're listening to this, um, <clears throat> they also showed off a custom version of it that is, um, hideous Horrid? would be a yeah. <laughs> good yeah. way, would be a kind, kind description of it. It's a combination of urban camo and 40s bomber nose art. <laughs> yeah. It's just bad. Is anybody really going to buy this motorcycle to to modify, to like customize, to make it cool? I feel like probably a Yamaha Bolt would be they a common platform for... if somebody were going to do that. But Nobody is going to 
modify this all that much. But for marketing reasons, they need to convince people that this is the kind of blank slate that if you wanted to, you could kind of like, yeah, go buy this SUV because you might want to drive across the Sahara Desert. You're not going to, but you need to convince yourself that you just might. And that's why you need this. Yeah. Well, coming out with the Rebel 500, I think, was a smart move to get people more excited about it, because I think that having the 500cc displacement motor opens it up to a lot more people that are going to be more interested in a Rebel platform, you know, because the 300 by itself, you can outgrow it almost instantaneously, whereas the 500, I feel like you could be pretty into it for a fair amount of time. There's Maybe even forever. It could be your forever bike. There's a lot of really experienced, very dedicated motorcyclists that are real happy with the 500X as, yeah. uh, you know, in the ADV circles. And this is the same powertrain. Yeah. I think it's curious that they are putting those two engines in the same frame. It It's very curious to me. You know, they're not altering the chassis yeah. at all. I looked it up and it's about a 10% weight difference. A little engine and a big twin uh, mm-hmm. The 500 comes in at 408 wet, which to me, I think that's pretty light, actually. Yeah, that is. I mean, that makes it to me. I could see where this could be a really fun blast around after work bike. Yeah. Well, think about it. How much is the bolt weigh? It's like five, almost 500 pounds. Oh, I think it's like 530 wet. Yeah. And it has like 50 something horsepower, like mm-hmm. 56 or 58. I would be interested to do a fourth gear roll on with these two and see. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, the Rebel 500 has 45 horsepower, weighs just over 400 pounds, and is really inexpensive too. 41 or 4200 uh, bucks no, or the, something like that. The, the 300 is 4399, and the 500 is 59.99. Yeah, and you can get it with ABS too. Right, which is I'm guessing it's probably going to be a three to six hundred dollar premium on top of that. Yeah, yeah, it's but forty five horsepower is more than enough to have fun. When I was riding my friend's Transalp here recently, it has about the same amount of power and is vastly heavier. And I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And so I think uh, a Rebel 500 would be a really fun motorcycle, at just over 400 pounds wet. So while while the torque won't be there, the 500 ha- essentially has the same amount of power as a 883 Sportster, yet weighs 100 pounds less. Yeah. People talk about liking torque, and I know, Garrett, you're a big proponent of, wow, it's just great to be able to have that big thrust off the bottom. Mm-hmm. I have no problem revving a motor out, you know, really make it sing to make power. Once you get used to it, you're no slower. You just have to think differently about how you ride. And yeah. uh, I have to say it looks cheap. If you look at it, so much of the stuff is just the flat black. The brake lever is pretty crude. Uh, yeah. They've definitely gotten it down to a price. That seat's going to be horrible. And yeah. I'm not sure I would buy one only because it has 3.77 inches of rear travel. I've been there. My Boulevard S50, the 800, had about the same. And and that's just no fun to have every imperfection jamming you on your spine. Yeah, well, what I'm about to say, I mean, in, in a good way, it looks cheap because it is cheap. I was talking to my friend about his FC09 here recently. The very first time that I rode it, I came back 
And I told the very first thing that I said was, wow, this thing has awful suspension. (laughs) And it just crushed him. And and I didn't mean it in such a negative way. And I kind of thought about it afterwards. It has awful suspension compared to an an Aprilia Tuano. It doesn't have active Olins on it, but it was also $8,000 out the door. So at some point, you have to make some some cost-cutting measures. So the FC09, it's got kind of terrible-looking foot pegs and, and turn signals and all that. And and it looks awful. It looks cheap. But it's also a really attractive price point. So in regards to the Rebel 500 and the Rebel 300, yeah, they look cheap because they are cheap. But I don't think that that should take away from the motorcycle itself. I mean, it, they're kind of built to a price point. You have to expect that. You're not you know, buying a a $15,000 motorcycle. And I have to say, with a Honda, none of those cheap things make me think it's going to be unreliable or not function yes. properly. When Absolutely. I looked at the Kimco K-Pipe and saw some of the really cheap, bodgy stuff on it, that makes me go, eh, I don't know. Is this stuff going to rust? Is stuff going to break? Is internal parts going to be as badly constructed as what I can see? It brings the quality of the whole vehicle into doubt. I don't doubt that these rebels will run and run and run. It is the Honda Motor Corporation, after all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and <laughs> and to a point as well, because yeah, it's six six grand for the non ABS version of the five hundred. You walk into a dealership with no money, you can walk out. Say you you take a three year note on it. It's one hundred and seventy five bucks a month. I mean, for most for most adults, you know, one hundred seventy five bucks a month. Okay. And in three years, it's yours. And in three years, it's worth thirty five hundred bucks. Okay, if you were to yeah. sell it at that point, you've had twenty five hundred dollars worth of fun. So, I don't think that that motorcycle could ever. Well, considering it didn't get completely wrecked, but I don't think it'll ever be worth less than thirty five hundred dollars. Um, they just, I think, will bottom out to a point, and that's just where it'll stay. Well, when we were talking about good values, <laughs> I made the comment about how much the Rebel two fifty sell for. Yeah. For being a little beginner bike, they hold their value very well, but I think part of that is they have a lot of chrome, and the chrome holds up very well on them, so they always look pretty. Yeah, I think that, generally speaking, the people that buy a Rebel 250 keep them in the same condition that they are versus maybe Ninja 250, which I think and have a customized lot of side race. scarring. And, <laughs> yeah, customized in air quotes. <laughs> the other bikes that we did not talk about are probably not one that any of our listeners will ever purchase, but I wanted to bring them up. One is the, uh, the Norton V fours production V fours are finally revealed and, uh, they're pretty amazing bikes. If you are ridiculously rich and extremely, uh, weird or, (laughs) or perhaps esoteric, uh, quirky, whatever you want to call it. I, I can't imagine why anyone would spend 28,000 pounds British. 34,775. Yeah. And, and they go up to like 44. 44,000 pounds. And, and that Good is. God. And that's $54,647 and 53 cents. It's 200 horsepower, and it, that's a very cool, impressive thing for a small company, especially to do in the current, you know, regulatory and emissions environment to make a street legal motor that can do that. You know, kudos to them. 
I'm not sure who's gonna buy it other than somebody who just likes collecting motorcycles. The it's it's essentially a British Bomoda. Yeah. So the person who would buy a Bomoda, that's who's gonna buy that. Yeah, but even a Bomoda, you've got a you know a Ducati engine or something. This is this is a bespoke engine. Didn't and, they base that off the Aprilia V4 though? I seem to recall. Maybe I could be completely wrong on that. But I thought they, if it was, I thought they were using the Aprilia V4. But if not, that they were at least basing it off of. But you know, please comment below on Hooniverse.com and let us know. <laughs> or continue to ignore it because you're never going to see one. Right. Good point. <laughs> uh, Fair point. The although other- I have seen a Y2K in person, so maybe I'll see one of these at some point. Okay. Well, there is that Nike money floating around you, you know, in, in, your, exactly. in your general area. So, yeah. <clears throat> the other truly uh, irrelevant bike that I'm going to bring up, the Honda 190 Nighthawk. It's only been introduced for China. It may make it to some other markets if it proves popular, but it's wild because it looks like a baby Africa twin right down to the paint job and the shape of the tank and the side blades on it and everything. The first time I saw it, it just made me giggle. I would buy it sooner than a Grom. That's... Just for the fact that it's a miniature Africa twin because it's the cutest motorcycle in the world. <laughs> it cute is the, is the perfect word for it. It is so cute. And you look at it, and it's got the same little 200cc air-cooled single that every other Chinese commuter has, but it looks so much cooler. I have no idea what it's selling for in China, and I'm not even sure I really care, but this is just an excuse to put a picture in our Hooniverse post of it, because that is awesome. It's almost like a 7th, 8th scale model of a real motorcycle. And for that reason, I actually really like it. And I bet in the right coffee shop, you could get girls to go for a ride because you're on this rather than whatever ordinary cargo bike powered by the same engine. So I, I, th- right. I think this has a little uh, social engineering attached to it if you're a young Chinese <laughs> right. boy. Finally, who would you most like to sit down and have a conversation with? And the And it's open to anybody in the history of motorcycling. We've been trying to line up some guests, had some people who have said they were interested in joining us, but the whole idea of an internet Skype chat is beyond their technosphere, or they just don't have the time, or I contacted them again, they were like, uh, who are you? Uh, (laughs) What would be your fantasy guest? Anybody, past, present, or future? You guys would probably already guess what mine is. Eric Buell. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I would like to get his perspective on what he's trying to do with American motorcycles and partnering with Harley and moving away from Harley. And I just, I imagine him being really weathered and being able to just talk candidly about all of the difficulties of trying to have a motorcycle business and, and, and trying to make motorcycles with, you know, not a lot of resources and, I think it would be interesting. I like his design perspective, and I really enjoy his looking at his motorcycles. I would, I think it would be a fascinating conversation. Eric, I wrote down four, and I'll try to 
machine gun through them, through them quickly and, and for what reasons. Um, and all of these are racing related. Um, number one, Burt Monroe, mainly because I want to see if he, it, it, by all accounts, he was quite the character in that he was well portrayed uh, by Sir Anthony Hopkins in the movie. Most New Zealand people that I've met are out there a little bit. So I, I think it'd be a, it'd be a fun conversation. Um, we'll go to one of my heroes, racing heroes growing up. And that's Eddie Lawson. Uh, I've met Eddie twice. I've talked with him once very briefly, but to do a, a, a longer conversation would be cool. He's a very kind of laid back person. Doesn't usually say a lot, but when you get him talking in interviews, I've seen with him. He's it's, Really an interesting and insightful person, real thinking kind of guy. Um, a guy that I covered when I was when I had my site and and was working for others and my my favorite racers of all time, uh, Matt Maladin. Just even to do it right now to see how what life is like fifteen well ten and fifteen years after he was you know winning dominating the American uh, road racing scene, and then lastly, um, Guy Martin. Just because it's. He's such a colorful character, and he's he announced uh, recently that he is essentially retiring from racing, or if he's going to race, it's going to be very select events for, on motorcycles, uh, or at least he was done with the TT is what he said, I guess, officially, because if he wanted to race the TT, he would have to be like a, a full-time racer. And he wasn't prepared to do that or didn't want to do that. So just the fact that he's been as successful or had as much success as he did while still essentially being a truck mechanic and just a story. I mean, if you've seen anything with Guy Martin, he's got stories and you, you literally just tee him up and wind him up and then you come back in 10 minutes and ask a follow up question. So that would be my list. I was going to say Guy Martin, too, but I just feel like I would have to have a, a translator. translator. <laughs> yeah, because I, but it is true. If if you had him as for in a conversation i feel like you would probably just listen to him talk for four and a half hours and then because he's just like always telling stories and one leads into the next and he's just always talking but he's super energetic and i really like that about him all right pete boy there are so many that i would love to talk with one of them not specifically just because of motorcycles but just in general i would love to have been able to meet alejandro di tomaso he was kind of the savior of so many Italian car and motorcycle nameplates in the 70s. He wasn't a hardcore designer, but he had his hand in design. He was in the financial, organizational, business side of things. He he, he kind of encapsulates that whole 70s Italian era from cars, motorcycles, and I would love to talk to him about that era. Uh, another one is Craig Vetter. Um uh, mm-hmm. I've read enough of his stuff, and he's a prolific enough communicator that I feel like I kind of know his views on a lot of stuff, but it just makes me want to be able to interact with him and really uh, ask him some specific questions about some of the things that I've, I've read about him. One, a guy that evidently was kind of a butt, but I would really like to talk to is Edward Turner. I mean, he designed pretty much every Triumph from 1930 to 1970 and was was such a big part of that company and was involved in so many different parts of it that that would be really cool. I mean, he's just one of those big figures that was involved in so much motorcycle history. I will also 
second Eddie Lawson. He's just a fascinating guy. Uh, Freddie Spencer, I think, was such an enigma and has always been so guarded about a lot of his motivations and not really terribly forthcoming with his real feelings about stuff that I'm not sure if later in life he would be more open. No. Okay. <laughs> no. And, I just, and, and the reason I say is he's been on TV enough with, uh, he used to do color commentary for road, motorcycle road racing and uh, some other interviews that he's done in, in recent times. And yeah, you'll get half a lot of half answers and kind of, yeah, I'd rather not talk about it. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, uh, he's he's very political. He's he's very political with everything he says and does. He's always thinking about his image with every response that he makes. Yep. I would say the flip side of that, the one person that I think would just be the most fun to talk to would be Barry Sheen. You know, because he <laughs> he yeah. was just say it off the cuff. He could he, charm he was, everybody. He was a two wheeled James Hunt. Yes, without and, the money. Yes. And uh, Wayne Rainey would be fascinating to talk to. Uh, he's been involved in so much. Um, Schwantz is always a good is always a good conversation because he'll kind of tell it how it is. Yeah. Um, and he'll have a lot of the same stories that like Eddie and, and, and Wayne would have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. But for somebody active today who's currently racing either in the United States or overseas, um, nobody. Some of it is. It used to be that the guy who tuned it, raced it, you know, welded the frame when it broke. There used to be more Renaissance men. Some of the Honda development riders were incredibly fast and rode in Suzuka and stuff like that. But their real talent was they could pull in and tell you exactly what the suspension rates needed to be and what changes needed to be made to the steering head angle and stuff. And unfortunately, all of those people are names that you and I don't recognize, and w- which would probably be some of the most fascinating people to talk to. And now, you know, the guy that's suggesting your your suspension has to have a computer science degree or an electrical engineering degree just to be able to figure out how your suspension works, that riders just kind of ride now. Everybody specialized. Mm-hmm. Long gone are the days of uh, Joey Dunlop throwing a bike in his in his van, driving nine hours with a buddy, rolling it out, wrenching on it, tuning it, you know. Well, Barry Sheen and his dad, kind of the same way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I mean, you get a little of that left with Irish road racing, but even that's going away uh, in, in there as, as that's become more developed and specialized and as bikes get more complicated. So who was the guy that, oh, I can't think of his name, uh, the guy who designed the CBX, he was also involved in the Grand Prix RC-166, and he went on. Uh, Erie is his nickname, but I can't think of his full name. And it's gonna I'm going to think of it as soon as we get off. But that's somebody else that it would be very, very cool to talk to. Well, Shashiro Honda himself would be very, very mm-hmm. cool. Agreed. Uh, okay, I, I think we'll, uh, we'll call it there because... We've named the ones that we could really think of off the top of our heads, which are probably the most important. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks off. We're going to enjoy the holidays with our families and uh, maybe do a little traveling, maybe spend some time in the workshop instead of editing podcast recordings. <laughs> and we will put up uh, another podcast 
first or second week of January. Uh, until then, everybody ride safe if you're still in a, uh, a locale where you can ride. And if you're going to get snowed in between now and January, put your bike on a charger and uh, go out to the garage and do some maintenance. See you guys in mid-January. Have fun, everybody. Yeah, take it easy. Happy holidays. Yeah.